Welcome to the Global Wellness HQ family of podcasts. We are your international headquarters for resources and ideas and insight in relation to the nine elements of holistic wellness. Join us as we interview local and international wellness experts and learn how you can implement and improve one element or dimension of wellness at a time. Our experts will share their practical tips on wellness in one of these core areas. Emotional, intellectual, occupational, physical, environmental, financial, spiritual, social, or habitual. We created our family of podcasts as a resource for anyone who is looking to integrate the nine elements of holistic wellness into their daily lives. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm really excited today. I have Marta Spurk with me. Uh, Marta, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and we're going to talk about your book as well. Hey, I'm super excited. And thanks for having me. So I'm Marta Spurk. I am an empowerment coach and visibility strategist. I help entrepreneurs stand out in their industries um, using social media, getting on stages, getting on TEDx, uh, doing TV segments, whatever have you, uh, to get more eyes on their business and how they can serve the world. And I've been having lots of fun while doing it. So... <laughs> Awesome. And I love your origin story. So well, let's start there. Why don't you tell my audience how you became an empowerment coach and, and um, you know, the, the minor decision after having triplets? Yes, minor decision. So backstory is I was born and raised in Brazil. Um, so my first language is Portuguese. But from a young age, I was very interested in the American culture and in the English language. Obviously, there's a huge influence um, with movies and music down in Brazil, but I actually took it a step further. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. And at 14, I began my entrepreneurial journey. I started teaching English at 14. So I would help uh, my friends in school study for tests and friends from church, even older than I was. Um, I would get my books from my private English classes and I would just relay the information and they pay me for it. Um, fast forward, I ended up marrying an American. So I, um, I married my American husband 13 years ago. It's been 13 years and then moved to the U.S. In the meantime, I got a bachelor's and a master's in English. And I built this 20 year career as a communication language expert. So besides teaching, I was translating documents um, and interpreting, too. To this day, I still freelance. I'm a certified court interpreter here in Colorado and also in other states. I do lots of remote work. But after I had triplets in 2016, I started feeling this desire to do something else. And I didn't know what it was. I knew it would involve teaching because that's just who I am. It's just in me. I have to teach. And I actually learn more <laughs> when I teach. So I can't help but teach because if I want to learn something, you know. And it started out with life coaching for women um, because of where I was at postpartum and, you know, and people naturally want to know how I live my life having triplets. So how are you surviving? How are you putting makeup on? You know, what's yeah. going on? So I started sharing more about my life and I took some certifications and especially after 2020 is when the focus um, took a different turn and I started talking more about marketing and how to create content, which had a lot more to do with my communication background to begin with. People were curious, especially through the pandemic, how 
are you still creating content? How are you finding time when your kids aren't even going to school? And so that's where it all began. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think that's my natural question. You know, I I don't know the life of a parent of triplets, but I do know the life of a parent and um, I know life gets busy. So how did you, first of all, find the energy, but, um, you know, what led you to say, you know, I should launch a business? Hmm. Well, it started with network marketing. I feel like it's still a thing these days, but back seven years ago, when I first got started in 2016, it was all the rage um, with different direct sales businesses. And, um, and I remember my husband was like, it's a pyramid scheme. Don't go down that route. My parents did that in the, in the nineties, you know? And I was like, no, but you know, it's community. It's a way for me to talk to other grownups, you know, have some kind of life outside of the mom life of triplets and the promises that they made, you know, you make money off of your phone, making a couple posts. So that's where the idea originally began. It was a company that focused on health. And I was, you know, a few months postpartum, wanted to lose the baby weight. So it felt like something, you know, a good idea to begin with. But then soon I realized I didn't want to be just another one, you know, in the company. I already had this aspiration of something more. And that's when I be, I started my podcast. I started my podcast two years into the network marketing business because I thought this is a great way for me to share my message beyond trying to sell these products. And that's when I started refining more what I actually wanted to talk about, which was this encouragement for, for women, for moms, most specifically at the time, um, to lean into these desires. Like they're there for a reason. It doesn't make you a bad mom. And it was a lot me kind of coaching myself through that, you know? And um, so that's how it all began. And then it evolved. I love it. Now, how did the book come about? Because I I feel like that's a a whole other adventure Mm. um, in the, in the journey. So. Yeah, it, it really is. And I say that, you know, through the entrepreneurial journey, there are these different steps that are, that represent different levels of commitment to your message and to your business, right? When you first start out, it's like, ah, if I give up tomorrow, I'll delete my social media. No one will really notice. And then you start taking bigger steps. Like you start going live, you start gathering contacts for your mailing list. Then you start a podcast. So that was the first step for me was I'm going to put this out there, see if anyone's interested. And I don't want to give up after a few episodes, which by the way, I've had my show for over five years now. That's how committed I was. And it's worked (laughs) out and people, you know, are interested in it. But the next step was writing a book. And I remember um, I had a few mentors that said, don't, you know, spend your money on this. Who's going to read it? It's just going to collect dust, uh, focus on other things, build your business. And for a while, like I agreed to that, like, who am I? Who would want to read my book? And then I had a mentor that actually said, this will elevate you as a business owner. It'll build more authority and credibility, even if it's a short book. It doesn't have to be this Bible, this canon, because then the next step, once I was like, all right, I want to do it, was I don't have enough material. I haven't arrived yet to then (laughs) tell this amazing story. But then little by little, I started understanding, well, it doesn't have to be something huge because that's actually going to keep people from actually reading it. I can just share what I have done up until this point. And then midway through the book, 
in writing editing, I realized, wow, this is how people write more than one books because they have more things that they need to say. The journey continues. So it gave me the strength to publish this first one, knowing it didn't have to end there. It didn't have to be this canon of my life, you know? So that's how it's, yeah, the tell all. So that's, that's how it started. And something else that was a big shift for me is understanding that it didn't have to, and it shouldn't really be a memoir. Because that's what you do once, you know, you're in your 80s and it's like, let's reflect back or postpartum, po- not postpartum, po- post uh, when somebody passes away yep. and somebody retells their story. So I was like, all right, it's not going to be a memoir. It's going to be some steps, some action uh, points, action items for people that are wanting to do to accomplish something similar to what I did. So this is what the book is about. It's called The Empowered Woman, The Ultimate Roadmap to Business Success. And it tells a little bit of my story that I just shared with you coming from Brazil, having triplets, starting the business. And I share five steps towards empowerment in life and in business for women that are wanting to recognize their gifts and use that to start and grow a business and, and, you know, fulfill their purpose. I love it. Now let's talk about, um, because one of the things I think, there's a lot of experts out there who, you know, here's how to write a book. And, and there's a lot of noise around that. Um, I'm very, very, when I work with people, it's here's why we're writing the book. Here's the the goal of the book. Um, what were your big lessons in writing the book? And what were your big aha moments? And then let's talk about the the magical TED stage, because that that's fascinating to me. Yes. So the biggest thing for me, for one, was realizing it didn't have to be the super long thing. And in fact, it shouldn't be because I actually want people to read it. I don't want it to just be something I pass around like a business card. I actually want it to be enticing enough that they will take the time to read and finish it. And that's what I the feedback I've gotten is I sit down, I can't put it down um, once I start and I'm done in like an hour, an hour and a half. It's like an airplane book, right? I'm going to read your book on this trip, Marta. It doesn't take me a billion hours out of my day. So that was the first breakthrough. The second breakthrough, like I mentioned, is that people will be more interested in um, reading action steps for them than they are in just hearing my story. So focusing on what's in it for them, always having that in mind as I am talking about my story it's what does this mean to somebody that's not me or my mom you know or (laughs) you know a family member that cares about me um and then having a framework for that so the, the the steps that I teach in the book they are part of my coaching framework so I realized everything needed to be cohesive because even if I take a different turn in my business or I pivot or I start talking about something else these steps are the core of what I do So they're still going to be applied because that's another fear, I think, for many people is what if I publish this now and then tomorrow I am teaching something completely different? What do I do with this thing? (laughs) So (laughs) he's making sure that it's going to be so foundational that regardless of what you end up, the direction you end up going in your business, it's still going to apply. So that was something else. And then realizing I needed to stick with that focus and expand on certain things that I just briefly touched on in separate books. Because I remember vividly um, my editor saying, you're getting into more of the tactics and strategies of marketing here. This is not the scope of this book. And that's when the light bulb 
went on and I was like, oh my gosh, I get to write another book that's more specific about strategy. This one has to do with personal growth and personal development, which is where I started my business anyways, like I said, with life coaching, you know, and I still believe mindset is the the foundation for everything anyways. So those were my big takeaways. <laughs> I love it. Now, um, you talk about getting on on stage and on TV, and, and I think that's um, so th- there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Um, first and foremost, one of the things I recognize is that a lot of authors are introverts, not saying all. <clears throat> and and that's, you know, I, I have equal communities. I have my extroverted authors who, you know, live these epic life tales and they want to share their story. Um, but some of the people I meet are very much introverts they grew up with books they they want to be you know they recharge with books but like you i think they have this itch to teach and and that's you know i i'm not smart enough to figure out how to learn something without teaching it you know i i have to that's how i learn something and and i learn the nuances is by being a teacher um so first and foremost um are you an introvert or extrovert and then from there, how do you work with the introverts who, um, I, I heard this joke and I, I love it, uh, most introverts would rather be the guest of honor at the funeral than the person speaking above the that guest of honor? Hmm. Oh, that's such a good question. I'm an extrovert and I tend to attract lots of introverts because they see in me this persona and they they think maybe you can help me kind of get out of my shell or at times some people are intimidated and they think I can't be you Marta so uh, that's not going to happen when it comes to TEDx going back to what I said levels of commitment to your message I believe right alongside the book or even maybe a step ahead for the introverts when we're talking authors a next level of commitment is stepping on the TEDx stage because that is something that you know talk about immortalizing your message um on the interwebs and <laughs> on um, the website of such a prestigious organization. So it's not something, again, like I said, you can't take down, you know, obviously you could apply and, you know, contact them if that were the case, but the, the emotional impulse of second guessing that we have with, Oh, I'm just going to delete this post. It doesn't work with Ted's <laughs> with Ted talks, you know? <laughs> so you really have to be believing in what, you're you're talking about and the importance of it it's it's that thing where people's lives being touched are bigger than your insecurities they are bigger than your fears right and so it's it really you get to that point where it's really not about me so I can get a little sweaty and step on the stage uh, or a lot sweaty and get on the stage and talk about this um or I can just um keep telling myself that it doesn't matter, that there's other ways that people can find me. But truth be told, it increases your visibility in a completely different level to have the accolade of being on the TEDx stage. And one thing I will say, now having gone through the process and in um, guiding clients to land TEDx's as well, TEDx prefers people that are not speakers, as crazy as that sounds, because they want kind of like kind of like that blank blank canvas so that they can teach. If somebody is super experienced and already has that, that's not to say that they wouldn't be selected, 
but there, there are certain things that make people less coachable. And that is a threat to TEDx because it's a free event uh, for the speakers. They don't pay to be in it and they don't get paid to be in it. So really what you have, it's almost like you have to sign a contract, but it's almost like just this verbal agreement that I will do as you tell me, I will practice my talk and I will show up on that day. So TEDx has a lot to lose if you're a flake. <laughs> and they also have a lot to lose if you think you know what you're doing and you don't follow their standards. Right. So saying that you're not a speaker so you can't be on TEDx doesn't work because there's lots of TEDx speakers that are not speakers. And the whole point is for them to coach you and allow the team, the curators to guide you through the process. And that's one thing I, I have heard. I have a lot of friends who've been TEDx speakers. Um, the coaching is intensive. You know, it's not just show up and, and wing it. It's, you know, this isn't, um, you know, uh, an afternoon at Toastmasters. There, right. There's a, a process. And um, I've heard sort of around six months, you know, there there's check-ins there's rehearsals you know there's coaching there's mentoring there's you know double checking and and personally I really love the idea um, I fell in love with Ted way back when when Ted was just about mm -hmm. education and design you know I yeah. just loved the idea that you're going to take a message and you know 18 minutes or less and you're going to make it you know very impactful I mean shouldn't that be the goal of everything is, you know, to make your message to that fine, fine point that others get it. Yes. Yes. And that's another thing too, is that they have specific disclaimers on the application pages. And this is a standard for all TEDx events that they don't want motivational talks. They don't want, you know, coaches, obviously they do get coaches, but the focus is, I don't want you to come up here on the stage and tell me, work on your mindset, like the basics. And it's exactly what you said. It's so refined and it's so to the point and it's so unique. And that's why it's challenging to get selected because most people treat TEDx like a keynote and it's not, yeah. it really isn't. It's about the idea and that's why it's about the message and not the subject. <laughs> I love it. And I, I think there is a... I attribute it to Blaise Pascal, but there's a quote that basically said, I would have written a shorter letter, but I did not have the time. And I think people, you know, for me personally, I can, you know, if you call me and say, hey, Jeff, I've got eight hours. Can you come and speak? I can fill a day easily because you can ramble and, you know, there's fillers and you can add things. But the discipline of an 18 minute talk um, that takes more time for me to prepare than for an eight hour workshop. Definitely. And there's a lot that you can say in 18 minutes. My talk was actually 10 minutes. Um, and I guide clients through a process where they can deliver a talk in five minutes. There's a lot that you can say if you're organized and if you know the structure of beginning, middle and end of, of a talk. And that's the art of speaking honestly, that that's what you start getting into is understanding that just like a text needs to have a beginning, middle and end, your speech does too. Otherwise people are lost. And I think with speaking, it's even more challenging. Um, 
because you don't have the visual element of let me go back to the sentence that I didn't understand and I'll reread it. It's real time, right? And as soon as you say that word, it's been said. You can't unsay it. So uh, that's where a lot of the training and the rehearsal comes in. As I was on that stage, honestly, because of how it's set up and it, the, the crowd, it's so bright and the crowd is really dark. So you can't really see the crowd at all. So it's really not like a keynote where there's interaction and you're looking at people's expressions. It's kind of like you're in this abyss by yourself. It reminded me of, you know, a theater performance where you're out there and you have to memorize things. Obviously, there is some freedom for improv improvisation. You're not going to say things word by word. And that's something else that I have learned. Not all TEDx's um, train their speakers the same exact way because they have this liberty to kind of veer off. Oh, okay. The one that I spoke for, they pride themselves in not having speakers memorize word for word their entire speech. They never have you type it all up. In fact, they discourage that because they want you to think about your talk in blocks so that if you forget a sentence, you don't freeze because that's what happens, right? And I mean, in theater, if you kind of freeze, you have a colleague or somebody to kind of whisper it or shout it or say <laughs> something to kind of cue you back in. That doesn't happen in TEDx. So if you forget something, you're on your own. <laughs> um, but then you learn the blocks and you're like, what was the next thing I, I was meant to talk? Obviously, you're probably going to forget, leave some stuff out. That's just the way that it is. But whatever comes out that day, I truly believe is what was meant to come out. I love that. And, you know, that's I work well in blocks. Um, mm -hmm. I've never I've never been the person to memorize something. I don't I don't care to memorize. It's not something I enjoy. Um, and I find the problem with memorizing is if you lose the word, the whole block falls apart. Whereas if you know generally, um, hey, here's what I was going to talk about, um, you know, so I, I think that's fascinating that, you know, I think some of the the best speakers feel very um, unrehearsed, but I recognize that it took them a lot of rehearsing to feel oh, yeah. unrehearsed. <laughs> exactly. Lots of times doing the same thing and then finding, you know, the places uh, where the audience is going to react. So you kind of pause to let them react. Um, it's an art, really. And it it just it comes with with practice for sure. I love it. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we you were a speaker at the Entrepreneurial Summit. Um, what are some of the ways you see people being profitable once they've written their book? Because I think that's the biggest lie out there that, you know, I write the book and suddenly I'm, I'm wealthy. Um, <laughs> the miracle happens. <laughs> the, the, there's some publishing fairy that comes down mm -hmm. and delivers a boatload of cash to your house. Um, so I'm going to guess you didn't have overnight wealth from your book. Um, but how do you how do you leverage your book and how has becoming a published author impacted you personally? So it's interesting because what I'm going to say has a lot to do with um, the same myth that goes around in the speaking industry. There are people that say, I just want to be a professional speaker, and they assume they're going to make a living off of speaking right off the bat, right? I'm going to book a few engagements a, a, a month and I'm going to get paid thousands of dollars. And that's awesome. What they don't understand is that how speakers actually make a lot of their money is having offers, 
having something that people can connect with after they're done speaking. And the same thing goes for the book. In order for you to make a lot of money off of selling books, you have to sell a lot of copies. Like, I don't know, 600, 400 copies a month to even, you know, have a decent income. Is that really going to happen monthly? Maybe one month, but monthly? I don't think so. So um, I think the biggest mistake and the biggest myth really is thinking that you're going to reach the income with the book alone. And publishing the book or doing speaking without having that continuation. So what can people do after they read this book? Or what can people do after they're done listening to you speak? You have to have a way for them to connect with you. And so um, creating an offer suite that allows people to do that. And by suite, I mean different price points. Because if you only have one way of engaging with you and it's thousands of dollars, you're leaving a lot of people out that are not ready to make that commitment because they don't trust you yet or because they don't have the finances. So having lower cost opportunities, especially ones that don't require people talking to you is very important because that's something else we're talking about introverts. Yeah. I shake my head every time a speaker goes, you know, and gives their presentation and then say, and I'd love to give you a free discovery call. You say this to an introvert, they want to crawl in a hole. I'm not going to book a discovery call with you. I don't know you. I don't want to talk to you one-on-one. I just want to be a fly on the wall. So having an opportunity for people to just go kind of stalk you, peruse your website, and maybe get a low ticket offer is so much more interesting when they don't know you yet. So in addition to having the book, having a resource, maybe a free resource, for you to engage with these people and add them to your mailing list. That's the number one thing. And then having a nurture sequence or a nurturing process so that they begin trusting you so that they will invest a little bit more and build a relationship. I mean, it's the same as um, like dating. You don't ask somebody to marry you the, the first day. It hardly will go well <laughs> if you do that, right? You don't know each other. And the same thing goes for sales. So regardless if your book is amazing i mean think about your own buying patterns you read this amazing book by tony robbins are you going to go through their his website and buy a five thousand dollar coaching you may yeah but what are the chances of that actually happening right yeah, what are, what are the statistical likelihood of it and exactly but you may go follow him on instagram you may sign up for his mailing list and start getting updates of his next free master class Right. I think right now he has a membership that's like $7 a month or $5. I don't know. So that's the kind of stuff. I mean, go look at the big guys. Okay. Like that's my advice. Go see what they're doing. They're not, <laughs> Tony Robbins is not saying, you know, book a discovery call with me. For one, he doesn't have the time for that. <laughs> right. So it's having these different offers. And what I, and, and my uh, Marta ism is if I go to your website right now, can I pay you? That's another big mistake that authors make, that speakers make, coaches, everybody. That's not to say that people will go, like I said, just because they read a book or they saw you speak, that they will go and they will buy something through on your website. But can they, though, if they want it to? Because that creates a different, again, level of intimacy, of credibility. Is I have my stuff put together. You can actually hire me right now and you can know what I can accomplish for you if you go on my website, some people don't even have websites. So 
it yeah. starts there. <laughs> and I love the martyrisms because I, I think that's the key. You know, you talk about having that suite and I think, you know, there are the, the experts out there who say, oh, you have to have your $25,000 offer. Well, that's the marriage proposal mm. after, you know, after you've met the crazy in-laws and, you know, you've, you've, oh. you know, picked out cutlery together, you know, you, you've yeah. made some commitments. Mm-hmm. Um, so what kind of things do you see in that suite? Cause I, I think that's, you know, a lot of people either do things that work for them. You know, I'm an mm. introvert, so I make things easy for introverts to buy, but, for some reason I have some extroverts who are like, Jeff, here's my credit card. Where can I pay you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, easy, slow down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would say having at least three different tiers works well. This is something that I learned um, years ago from a sales coach. And I really believe in it because often, I mean, go look at car washes, go look at credit cards. They have the the bronze, the silver and the gold, the gold, the platinum, Right. So why wouldn't you have something like that? Because what does that do? It gives people a point of reference and um, contrast. Right. So what usually ends up happening when you have at least three is people will pick the middle because they're like, I don't want the super cheap one because I'm not going to have as much access to you. What if I have questions? But I can't afford in their mind the large one. And as an introvert, I don't want to talk to you that much. (laughs) So let's see the book. Exactly. That, <laughs> let's do the middle one um, because then I get more features, but I don't get all the other ones. I don't really need them right now anyway. So it's like the mindset, right? And then those are the people that will end up going into the higher ticket because they got a little taste of you in more of a group setting and then they're ready for that. So I would say a low cost, like under $100 for a self-paced course, something small, like a mini course, maybe a masterclass, even a membership because it's a group and it's, you know, more hands-off, then having a mid option that's a group program where um, they're going to have to participate to actually get the benefit of it, but they're not the only ones. They can kind of take a step back and see what the other people are doing, again, especially if they're introverts, Um, and they have more access to you, so they can ask questions. It's not so self-based. I find that at times people are intimidated by mastermind, or I mean, uh, memberships, because they think, oh, it's ongoing. When is it going to end? I don't know as opposed to the idea of a finite course. It's six weeks, and this is what you're going to learn in six weeks. All right, I can attempt this, and if I hate you and your methods, I'll just, you know, cut my losses and be good. Yeah. So that's there's a lot of, you know, benefits to a finite group program, four weeks, six weeks, so that people can get a taste and decide if that's for them. And then having your higher ticket, your one-on-one, where they have a lot more access to you. Obviously, it's going to cost more because it's more of your time and investment yourself as the provider i love that and um for what it's worth i've had this conversation with a lot of people um i like the top tier to be group as well because there are people who want to be part of an elite group and mm-hmm. you know there there's more scale more leverageability and and things like that um and i'm gonna just bring back you pointed out you know go go look at the leaders in the world industry. You know, if you, um, I'm a big fan of Russell Brunson and, and I like the stuff he does. And um, 
I do believe actually whatever Tony has now, Russell has built. So, um, you know, he's got that magical formula and, and that's the thing. Give people those choices. And um, I actually created one that's, that's really low, low entry for the introverts. Um, I have what I call greeting card courses. And they're literally as simple as it sounds. People pay, you know, $5, $10, whatever it is. And over the course of a few months or, you know, my longest one is a 12 month, um, they get a lesson a month and, and it's just, you know, one, one problem, one solution, one, one implementation. And, um, you know, that, that piece was fun because, you know, I used to use it as sort of, you know, the giveaways. And I was like, well, I want to give people quality stuff. I can give better quality if I charge a little something for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also that little micro commitment. So, yeah. Yeah, that commitment is really important. And, and it goes back to what we said before. Um, it builds. It doesn't start. Some people are more ready. And at times we take it personally. It's like, how? why can't I have 10 clients like that one, right? That, like you said, here's my credit card. And the reason that is, is because everyone's in their own individual journey. You don't know how many courses, right? What experiences that person has done to get to the point where they see you at that particular moment, you know? And they're like, I'm ready for this. So it's really got nothing to do with you. Obviously, you having everything in place and having a super clear message on what you offer is super helpful, but it's it's never personal. <laughs> I love that. And I do think that, um, you know, a lot of people want to appeal to everyone. And I recognize that that's probably the biggest fallacy now where, you know, yeah. oh, I'm an author. I write for everyone. Right. You know, exactly. <clears throat> I've written books where the intended audience is 12 known people. And, wow. you know, those to me and, and um, you know, one of my favorite phrases, it's, it's a love letter. I literally write these books as a love letter to my ideal client. And, you know, I'm going to share that the day I proposed to my wife, I had one ring in my pocket and I had one conversation and um, you know, that, that went well. Um, I, I just imagine a lot of people are, you know, they have a whole bunch of different rings and they're like, okay, do you want to marry me? You know, they're, they're proposing to everybody they meet without taking that time to get to know them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It takes time. Now, Marta, I'm a huge fan. I think you're an amazing human being. How can my listeners, my viewers, how can they connect with you? How can they learn more? about the magic that you do well you can connect with me on any social media platform i'm in the major ones facebook instagram linkedin i also have a podcast called the empowered woman so for the introverts you can go and listen to it without me knowing (laughs) um and check it out i also have my ted talk that's out there and uh, a membership i do have a low-cost membership so i do practice what i preach it's 37 dollars a month and we meet three times uh, a month on zoom actually. So it's, it's more on the high touch than not uh, in helping women with mindset and with visibility for their business. I love it. Well, thank you. Now, my final question, you are the expert at all things Marta. Is there a question I should have asked you that I haven't? 
Well, I do have another book coming out. I don't think you knew that, maybe. I did not. Um, yeah, so you couldn't have asked me about it. But I have a new book coming out. Um, it's actually a companion to my first book. It's a collaboration book. I have uh, 21 of my clients write a chapter in it to expand on those five steps that I share in the first one. It's coming out October 24th. It's already on uh, pre-sale, pre-order on Kindle for 99 cents. And I'm super excited about it. Awesome. So people can look for you on Amazon as well. Yes. Um, so your first book was called The Empowered Woman. What is book number two called? Book number two is called The Empowered Woman's Path. Um, 21 Inspiring Stories of Success in Life and Business. I love it. Well, Marta, I want to really sincerely thank you. It was a pleasure meeting you at the Entrepreneurial Summit. And it's a pleasure um, having this alone time to, to ask you a bunch of questions. So thank you for taking time out of your day and from your triplets to hang out with me. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and we invite you to either click the link below or scan the QR code to register and listen to other episodes of our podcast. Or if you think your business or you would be a great guest to be on our show, we're always looking for experts in one of the nine elements of holistic wellness. We'd love to have you. You can either click the link below or you can scan the QR code and complete our speaker intake form. Thank you and to your wellness.